Well, let's pray, shall we? We thank you, Lord, for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen. Well, as we, uh, we've come at last uh, to the last Sunday in our roaming uh, into Romans uh, through this Lent time, um, we haven't quite finished the entire journey. There's one more Wednesday Lent course to go, and our daily readings will keep on going until Thursday. Uh, but here we are uh, at, the, at, and, at, at this point. And, and now's a good time to uh, remember where we started. And if you were able to tune in to the beginning of our journey, and if you were with us on Ash Wednesday, uh, we looked ahead. And we, the thing we, we brought to mind was how the gospel that Paul brings is shaped and founded on God's desire. His desire for reunion with his people and even with his whole creation. And in some ways, as we get to Romans 8, uh, we've come to that point. Paul has given us all that we need to understand our hope. Uh, at the beginning, uh, Paul took us uh, to understand uh, the fracture in our broken world. And he brought us, of course, having understood what it means to live and sin and, and to experience the wrath of God, he brought us, of course, to Jesus. And, uh, and through him, the burden of our fractured existence is embraced, owned, paid for and dealt with. He is our Messiah King who leads his people through death that we might die to the power by which we can, by the power by which we are continually breaking God's law and so we enter into the blessing of Christ's obedience we enter into his faithfulness by which we are counted as righteous we are justified and restored and so we are blessed and just as he promised Abraham we are blessed to be a blessing to the whole world, not through our religious fervour, but through faith. There you go. I've just summed up the last few weeks in one paragraph. Put it all together, though, and what we have in ourselves, as Christ has made us to be, is a foreshadowing of that eternal renewal that is to come. Eternal life is ours, beginning today. At the end of Romans 7, Paul asked a rhetorical question. He said, who will save me from this body of death? And he answered it, Jesus Christ our Lord, we are his, we are his. And now in Romans 8, Paul unpacks that reality, we are his. And this is not some theoretical, bureaucratic change in some sort of spiritual birth certificate. We are truly his. We are no longer bound by sin, uh, to the, bound by law to our sin. We are filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead. And what, we're not, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to quickly run through a bit of Romans 8 today. And then I'm going to invite Jill to come in and share a bit of her experience to illustrate how this is not just something theoretical. And we're not going to dip in too much. We're going to unpack it a bit more, particularly the first part of chapter 8 on our Wednesday course uh, this coming week. Uh, but the gist of it is clear. As we get into Romans 8, Paul is continually talking about the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God lives in us, he says, then we find ourselves moved by his spirit. 
We set our mind, our intention, our decisions, our priorities, our passions on the things of God and on what the Spirit desires. That is not theoretical. That impacts our everyday life. And see, this small snippet is, is a great encouragement for us. And particularly this year, and as I was reading this, I was really, really reflecting that the year we have and the year that we're in is marked by a great volatility. Everything is changing very quickly. Over the last few months, we have lurched from guideline to lockdown to tier level to uncertainty upon uncertainty. And there feels like not only that, but there's a deeper shifting in the foundations of this world. Politically, socially, spiritually, things seem to be shifting. And if we entered into, if we continue within that volatility, if we live in this world according to the flesh, as Paul uses it, then we'll find ourselves living out of that volatility ourselves. We live out of the volatility of the year that we're in. We're going to find ourselves operating out of that same spirit. And that's what I hear in myself and in the conversations around us. Everything's changing. So what's the point? What's it all about? And, and that questioning is there on our Christian walk as well. If the ground is shifting under our feet as well, then what's the grounding of my faith? What's the point of prayer? What do I believe in anyway? So in the volatility of this year, uh, Paul's encouragement, Romans 8, is like it's for this exact moment. We don't just have in Paul some theoretical theology. We have the Spirit living in us. The Spirit will move us if we are truly his and who we claim to be as followers of Jesus. And so in the light of that, I come into this moment with Romans 8, heartened. The Spirit does give life, even if the world around us is subject to volatility. And what that means that is as we look ahead, and if your life looks anything like mine or anything like the life of the church, then we don't really have a clue as to what this year is going to look like at the end. I don't know what Sundays are going to look like. I, I just don't know. I can plan maybe a month ahead, if that. And, and that's before we take into account changes in employments and all the other things that many of us are experiencing. We are weak and we are tired and we are weary. If the Spirit is not with us, then we would need to strive and perform and operate out of our fear and anxiety. But if the Spirit is with us, we don't need to cling to ourselves but we roll into our weakness and trust the Spirit to be at work. It's the Spirit who gives life. And from a church point of view, I can say uh, I am heartened by how we are allowing ourselves to be moved by the Spirit. Uh, you may be aware that the PCC in the last little while has set up two working groups, one to explore the mission opportunities that are here in and around St Bart's at this end of the parish, and another we've set up recently uh, to tentatively and gently flesh out a proposal for a self-sustaining mission community in and around the vicarage and at St Stephen's, discipling young adults and students uh, to reach out to the many nations that are in Upperthorpe, Netherthorpe and the inner city. 
And the thing is, we, if we strive at these endeavours out of fear or desperation or the need to be a big church or something like that, we will just exhaust ourselves. But if the Spirit lives in us, it's the Spirit who gives life. And that's where we lean into and have trust. That's where we find ourselves in the midst of our volatility, especially in the midst of our volatility. You see, at the moment, right now, embracing the mind of Christ is almost a simple necessity. If we act as if we are bound to the power of the fracture in this world, with all its anxieties and traumas, we will remain stuck. But if we lean into the Spirit and move through our deconstructions and our divine undoings, and whether that be in church work or work work or simply in our households, we will find that it's the Spirit who gives life. And this is what Paul is trying to do. He's writing to his friends and he's wanting to encourage them and here's how we arrive at this moment in 2021. We know that, um, that God's spirit in us, as Ben mentioned earlier, is a spirit of adoption by which we are counted as God's children. We are the heirs of his promise, the heirs of all the blessings that flow from Abraham and all the other things that Paul has been talking about. He's been describing the power and the blessing of God's promises that he's made to his children throughout all the ages. And by his spirit, we are heirs to all these things. And therefore, our posture at the moment is one that simply cries out, Abba, Father. It's a cry of delight, of affection, of reliance, of surrender, of embrace, of joy. It's a cry of belonging. It's because of this finding ourselves in the arms of God that Paul, at the very end of Romans 8, can declare with great conviction, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present or the future, or powers or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are his in this way, in this volatile world, then God is for us and who can be against us? Can you see the joy and the encouragement that Paul is trying to put before us? This is not unrealistic theoretical concept. This isn't eyes glazed over piety. No, this is about living our real world. Often when Paul prays for his brothers and sisters in various different churches, he's praying, oh, that you would know, oh, that your hearts would be able to conceive of the wonder of what God is doing in your midst, that you would understand the depths of the truth that is in the midst of your real life. And that's what he's trying to do here. We are God's children. That's the truth. And we are heirs of God's promise. Right now, indeed, right now. Not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. When it's hard. When we share in his sufferings. To be called by Christ right now, in this moment of volatility, with unknown things ahead of us, is to not just share in the great things of this world but in the burdens of this world. You see, Paul imagines our world to be stretched. Stretched between its innate goodness with which God made it and its brokenness between its current reality and the longing of its renewal. Paul calls this 
eager expectation. An eager expectation that is in the world around us right now. And it echoes the heart of the Spirit of God. The world is waiting for a glory to be revealed. When in us and through us, in Jesus, the promise of renewal becomes a reality. But now, creation and us in it is subject to frustration, subjected to the human fracture, but in hope, in a hope of being liberated from bondage to decay. So what then does it mean to have the Spirit of Christ? It means that we set our hearts on the things of the Spirit from our place in the arms of God our Father. We look to this world and we see it and we see everything from, the, from climate change to systemic injustice to the pains of human society and the brokenness of each human person. And we know the reality that the whole creation has been groaning. But by the Spirit of Jesus this is not a futile groaning. It's like the pains of childbirth, pain with a purpose, right up to this present time. And here, filled with the Spirit of God, the posture of our mission and our prayer and our intercession, the shape of our discipleship is this. We groan also. We groan because we have the Spirit, a deposit in us, that real reality that we have full of God's promise. And so we groan not in despondency, but in fruit-bearing purpose, as we actively wait for our, our, our adoption to be at its fullness. And that we actively wait for that moment when our bodies are renewed and are made new at the end. This is our hope in which we have been saved. You see, at the moment, it's the Spirit of God who helps us in our weakness. The Spirit even helps us to pray, giving words to our groans, and sometimes just giving us the groans themselves. The Spirit puts in our hearts the heart of God who intercedes for us all according to God's will. This is how Paul encourages his brothers and sisters, and also us. Not by pretending all is well, not by giving us some theory, but helping us to understand the depths of how God is present in us and with us. Especially now, when we can hear the groans of creation so loudly, and we can groan with them in the purpose of seeing the glory of God at work. But I want to be quiet now. I want to, uh, I, I said, to, as Jill and I were talking about this during the week, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do the teachy bit, you do the real bit. And so I'm going to invite Jill now to share part of how she has experienced this truth. The way we were, word, the way we were worded that to me was, can you talk about groans? Can you talk about what it means to be, what groans might look like in tangibly? And because so much of my story has come out of one that is of pain and of suffering, that I'm just going to share part of that, but also just talk into it a little bit. So when I was 20 years old, I spent a few months in hospital. Uh, and I had several surgeries. I had five in six weeks. And when I say surgery, I meant I was opened up from here to here a number of times. And... I mean, in the lead up to that time, I was already pleading with God to heal me. 
and there were hundreds of people praying for me around the world and around the country and yet the healing that I longed for didn't have didn't happen after that fifth surgery in the high dependency unit in the hospital I got to the point where I gave up and I really couldn't be bothered with God anymore I I was in I mean pain is was intense you can't describe that sort of pain but all I wanted was to be healed and have pain to end and then some sometime in that in those moments I mean this, this is where I find it interesting when I hear about the spirit crying and longing even when I was unconscious I can still I still have memories of my spirit soaring when I was told people were praying for me as there is an, was an interaction between the Spirit of God and my own inner life. But also in that time, in the weeks that followed, when I was told, even when there's that place of numbness and can't be bothered with God anymore because he wasn't doing it my way, I read a story of a woman who had been walking with her husband who had cancer. And as I read this story, what I realised was that God was sovereign and that all I needed to do was trust him. Now, my journey with pain and illness has continued since then. It hasn't changed. Um, particularly in the last 15 years, I've had many, many times where it's debilitating and the depression that comes with it is absolutely, it floors me and leaves me in bed. My husband, for Will and our four children, we've cried out to God over and over and over again to be healed. I've gone to healing meetings. I've done everything you can think of just to ask God to heal my broken and aching body. You name it, I've done it. A few years ago, in the midst of one of those times, I actually reached a point of despair. I didn't see the point in keeping on going, but this was so what I realised that I believed. I thought that because God did not heal me, he did not love me. What I had done was I had put my image of God on him. I had put my own experience and how I felt into who I thought God was. And I ha I'd stopped, somewhere in the midst of there, I'd stopped believing who God says he is in his word. There are many, many stories of so many saints that have gone before us and even modern day people right here, right now, that walk through suffering and know what it means to know the groans of what the Spirit is doing all the time. I was reading from a book by Diane Grover uh, and she's talking about her own period of darkness. And she was talking about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Now we all know Mother Teresa as this extraordinary woman who lived in the poverty of Calcutta. 
But what many don't know about her was for the majority of her ministry life, she lived with dark depression. And this is what she says about her. At times, Mother Teresa wrestled with God's very existence, but still she directed all these thoughts and feelings to him, still she prayed. She prayed and she met Jesus on the way. He met her in her stifled words. He met her as she was surrounded by the prayers of her sisters during their community prayers. He met her as she walked the streets of Calcutta. She prayed boldly of her pain, even telling God she didn't know if she believed in him. Regardless of her feelings, she brought her thoughts, her questions and her hurt before God. This did not remove her pain. It did not bring instant light to her darkness, but it did keep her in the right place at his feet. And I think that example of Mother Teresa's life is what it looks like to get caught up in the power of the spirit with groans. For me personally, and for those who I have lived closely with, walking with suffering and knowing Jesus, being moved by his spirit, has played a significant part in how, I have, how we have been shaped and formed into who we are now. We know we look at life differently. I feel the compassion of everybody around me. And all I can do is take that back to God every day. Even recently, when I ended up in hospital and when I, words I used, my brain broke, all I could do was lie back and say, okay, God, this is where I am. You do your thing. But what I've come to know is a deeper understanding of the journey of discipleship and of just being his child. The journey of discipleship and as the spirit moves with us is we grow to be children. We grow to that place of dependence and to be completely relied and surrendered to be children in the arms of a loving father. And that is where we cry out in hope to our Abba Father, to our Daddy God. That is where the groans are. I need to add this. I live with the Holy Spirit moving in me. I live with the hope of Christ every day. And within that, I have also known miracles. I've known personal miracles of healing and I have seen people move. Try again. I have seen people healed by the power of the Spirit. And so within that, I live naturally, supernatural every day. And I never stop praying for healing because the healing is happening all the time. Whether it be signs and wonders that take us to Jesus in discipleship journey that way or it's the signs and wonders that 
or those signs and wonders that are healing us from the inside out as we are renewed and restored and caught up in him. Both are the same. In a conversation this week, I was asked, what do you think the groans look like? What do the groans of travailing and prayer look like? Great question. And I sat there for a moment and I thought, well, it's sort of an interesting question. As we sit today in Palm Sunday, with millions of people across God's family, across the world, and we cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And as we've already heard, even the rocks will cry out if we don't. But that word Hosanna means save us. The very word Hosanna is both a declaration of who Jesus is right now and who he is in the future. The very word Hosanna is a groan, is a crying out for deliverance. And today as we begin Holy Week, as we journey into the highlight of our year, we go into Gethsemane where we saw our Lord Jesus groan. Where before the Father he asked him to take the cup away and yet put his arms out and says, not my will but yours be done. That groaning in that place of surrender is groaning as we say yes Lord whatever it takes for you for us to become like you is groaning so as we enter this holy week i want to encourage you to go journey into the week as we sit in Monday Thursday, perhaps enjoy some sort of Passover meal together, wash each other's feet, think about what it means to be betrayed. Think about what it would have been like for Peter to deny the person he had declared his love for three times. As we go through Good Friday together, where there is the beauty and tragedy of the cross. But also, don't just skip over Easter Saturday. Sit in it, because Easter Saturday itself is like a groan. Easter Saturday itself holds both the hope of resurrection and that the, the trial and the difficulty of the cross coming together. It is a day that represents the now and not yet, that place of in-between. Just sit in it. Think about what it would have been like for the disciples of that time as we wait. We cry Hosanna. I'm going to finish just to say this. I still plod. I still have days in bed where I, I have pain, I can't walk, for no rhyme or reason, not really, and I've learnt just to sit in it. But in all the trials and in everything that goes on around us, and especially in the year that has been, 
More and more, as I know Jesus, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, powers or principalities, neither pandemics or abuse or famine or government leaders or abusive church leaders or shame or pain or racism or fear or loneliness or illness or anxiety or cancer or anything in the present or the future can keep us from the love of Christ that we know in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to finish with a prayer that we've been praying almost every day throughout Lent, and it's a prayer that comes from Romans 8.34. So as I finish up, just just sit with me, and we're going to close with these words. Holy Spirit, when I feel alone, I'm comforted because you pray with me. When I'm silenced by suffering, I'm grateful that you pray through me. And Jesus, when I feel helpless, I'm strengthened because you're with the Father right now praying for me. Lord, lead us into this week and into this year slowly and gently out of our weakness and out of our vulnerability as we worship you and follow you. Make us like you for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.